Matthew uh, chapter 20, we have come as far, really, as verse 29. Jesus has been teaching the disciples, um, answering and and talking to them about their debate about who was going to be the greatest, trying to get them to understand he was headed up to Jerusalem to be killed and to rise again. And they had come down the eastern side of the Jordan River and uh, to stay out of the area of Samaria. They made their pilgrimage. They're there in the area of Jericho where they're going to go up to Jerusalem. It's his last going up to Jerusalem because the cross is waiting for him. Um, Next time he comes, it will be through the sky to the Mount of Olives. But he's been teaching, and now he's talking to the disciples. And he's going to make his journey from Jerusalem, I mean from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jericho is about 1,000 feet below sea level. I think the Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. And Jerusalem, going across the Mount of Olives, you're 2,500 feet above sea level. So in 15 to 18 miles, depending on the way the road curved and they're, they're walking, you're going from 1,000 feet below sea level to 2,500 feet above sea level. You're going 3,500 feet in your journey uphill uh, without a break for 15 to 18 miles. Um, you were in shape, and the Lord kept you alive so you didn't drop dead on the way to the temple to worship. Uh, so they're they're making that journey now. I'll read the end of chapter 20 to you, and then we'll look at it. Verse 29 says, And they departed from Jericho. Um, as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. So... Spurgeon says, the Lord's asking us to behold those who are unable to behold. Behold two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. So we have this interesting passage. Look, uh, for your Bible critics, they're going to say, well, it says here, Uh, that he was, verse 29, departing from Jericho, and Mark and Luke say he was coming into Jericho. See here, the Bible's not inerrant. They give you all this uh, baloney. 
A um, little bit of study makes it very obvious that there was the ancient Jericho, and there was a curse on it, but it was rebuilt slightly at this point in time. Then a little closer to the ascent to Jerusalem, there was the modern Jericho, where Herod had a palace where many of the priests and Levites lived. So Matthew, writing to the Jews, telling us Jesus is leaving Jewish Jericho. Mark and Luke, writing more to the Gentiles, telling us he's coming into Herod's Jericho. Both things are true, and parked between them was often at this time beggars, people that were blind and lame, because it was good business in this time. Uh, You know, people are going up to Jerusalem, the multitudes, to sacrifice, it's the Passover, certainly You know, they want God's blessing when they get up there. They want God to forgive them. So as they're going past somebody that's blind and those begging, they can't, you know, the heck with you, and then go ask God for his blessing. So this is a great time for people that are infirm, that have difficulties, that are begging, sit by the side of the road and so forth. Uh, And and Bartimaeus is there. That's his name, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Mark tells us his name. Now, both Luke and Mark tell us there was one blind man. Matthew tells us there were two. Bartimaeus is evidently the spokesman, the one who speaks, both crying initially. Mark was not an eyewitness. Luke was not an eyewitness. Matthew was there. He said there were two of them crying out. When we come to this scene, you know, it's it's interesting The miracle that Jesus does in the Gospels more than any other miracle is the healing of the blind. More than the lame, more than raising the dead. The the miracle he repeats most often is the healing of the blind. And I I look at that and I think about it sometimes. You know, it says all things were made through him, by him. Nothing was made except it was made through him. And And you think of creation, you know, when I think of it. One, one scholar, in fact, he was a friend of mine, he was the, the Wildersmith when he was here, he said, you know, what is, what, what's this all about? Cinnamon, you know, garlic, you know, what's all this about? That that the Lord in his creation made things that tasted good, you know, he, he understood taste. Well, he understood smell, there's a whole science there, but sight... You know, he made flowers, he made butterflies, he made waterfalls, he made, you can imagine, and and Adam walked and he looked into the face of God and they fellowshiped. So it seems that Jesus, the creator, has incredible compassion, it says it right here, on the blind. And there were no ophthalmologists, there wasn't any of the things we enjoy today, there was no way to, to fix this if you had become blind, then you had some memory of sight. If it was congenital blindness, which this seems to be, you had only known darkness. You had never known sight. Evolutionist, poor folks, um, you know, even Darwin, you know, one of the things that they really struggle with is the eye. They can explain all kinds of other things, but you're going to tell me 
that the eye started as a freckle on some salamander's forehead. You know, I'm born again, not born yesterday. Cut me a break, you know. Uh, what what they've discovered and 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 they know little about it still, you know your eye and I'm and I'm going to get to a point so bear with me and my dementia I love these things, uh, you, you, your eye is really just a camera vision that's where sight it says immediately you receive sight, vision takes place in the brain and they still don't understand how it works. The picture is sprayed up inside. The, the eye itself is only the lens. It's the camera, and it, it receives radio waves, long frequency, low frequency, and high frequency radio waves. And it comes into the eye. Uh, you have on the back of your eye your retina, and I don't know who counted these, but they say there's 100 million rods there. And there's 10 million cones on the back. Those are light receptors. Who counted those? So, so what you have is a lens. It's self-repairing, self-cleaning, self-lubricating. There's nothing else like it in the world. Not even close. And you, in your body's made, there's amino acids. Well, the two amino acids that are clear, arginine and albulum, you know where you find those? In the pupil, of course. Evolution's amazing, isn't it? Instead of spreading it out through the Bibles, evolution put it all there. And then collagen in your skin everywhere lays a certain way, except in the eye where it lays next to each other and makes it possible to have something transparent where you can see. Isn't that amazing? The eyeball, you know, you have... It's it's mu it's got muscles on it like a horse like holding back a horse and you have the uh, the the lateral and the interior rectus which pull the eye this way if you got to look back and forth then you have superior and inferior recta which if you got to look up you got to look down then you got an oblique recta which pulls it sideways so if you turn your head this way it's not like the whole room goes like this right. You turn your eye this way, and then the muscles that pull the eye around keep everything focused this way. You put your head back, the, 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 the inferior rectus is pulling the bottom, and, and just everything, and then it lubricates by itself, too. So it doesn't go, ur, 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 it doesn't squeak, you know? Uh, it, 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 it is, it's a miracle in structure and the way it works. And the, the lube, it has an antibacterial fluid that keeps it coated. And then it has, of course, the lubricating. And then you have your tear ducts, which is part of lubrication, part of the whole process. But when you get emotional, and they're still not sure why, they contract, and then you get tears. And, and it's interesting. Women normally use tissues and soak up their tears. Men don't want to look like they're crying, but then you have a drain in the center of your eye that takes it into your sinus passage. So men are always going <laughs> when they're crying. Women are going like this, you know, because they're, 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 they're worried about their mascara, I think. But they're, you know, they're doing it the other way. So you have this camera. You have this thing sitting in your head. It's, it's the largest nerve. It's, it's a nerve. It's connected to your brain. And the, and the retina in the back is firing off every one two thousandth of a second a hundred million are firing off, or ten million, depending on when it's late or dark, 
every two thousandth of a second, so you're getting billions of signals at a time going to your brain. This is cool. You, you like this, don't you? So, so the the you have your your cones are in the middle of your eye, and they see daylight. These see colors. So again, they can see, you, you look at the pews you're on, they can see a thousand different hues of color. So you see all, all the different reds, purples. They pick up somehow those frequencies. Around those, you have the rods, and there's over 100 million of those, and they only see white to black, mo- mostly gray. So, that, so you, if you go out at night and you, you kind of switch from rods to cones, and the muscles pull, and your lens opens up to let in more light because it's darker, you have the capacity to look up and see a star that's millions of light years away. On a clear night, if somebody lights a candle, you can see that five miles away. When you go into a movie theater, you're using cones, you're looking at light, then you'll walk into the dark and you got to stand there for a minute, you can't see, because you're switching from cones to rods. Your pupil's opening up, it's letting more in so you can see in the dark. Then you come out of the movie theater, you got to stop for a second because you're going from the dark to the light and you're switching from rods back to cones again. It's just remarkable. And it fires all those signals up into your... Now, I'm going to t- it's going to fit here, so be, be patient with me. Fires all of those signals up in your brain, and your brain is where vision takes place. There's a screen up there. It's a chemical screen. They don't understand it. And it's a chemical library. So you can close your eyes. When I pray for my family at night and pray for you guys, I can close my eyes and I can see the faces. There's a chemical library up there from what the things that have been sprayed up. And look, the most amazing thing about that is it's self-adjusting. You know, when you go somewhere like Banff, I've been to Banff, you know, it was a trip of a lifetime. To, I love the mountains. So, and, you, and you take pictures, you look at something, say, look at that. And you take pictures of it. Then you come home and look at the pictures, you think, you know, big deal. You know, it's because when you look at it, and it sprays up in your brain, your brain adjusts it so you can see it majestically and remarkably because, you know, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the earth shows forth his handiwork and the eyeballs in cooperation with God, he made it, and all of that. If you if you look at somebody laying on the beach they're behind you and you you know their foot's there you don't see a great big foot and a little head it, it all adjusts if you use a camera and take the picture you're going to get a big foot right in the front of the camera and the head on the other end it adjusts the the photo this where it's sprayed up it adjusts now i'm going to get to the part at the end of this you're going to see no pun intended. When a baby's born, they don't see right away. They come through that tunnel, they come out into the light, and they have to start to form that library. So the first thing that eye does, it starts to recognize vertical lines, horizontal lines, diagonal lines, and starts to put those together with colors and all. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, the baby's looking at you, kind of smile, or he's just starting to recognize your face. 
if you have somebody, if a missionary who's an ophthalmologist or a, or a surgeon gets somebody in the mission field who's never seen, and they do the surgery and they put bandages over their eyes, when they pull the bandages off, the person doesn't see. The person's doing this because they're trying to, they, they got to do all that chemistry to get their, you know, it may take two weeks for vision to start to clear. They got to, they got to put horizontal lines and vertical lines and all of this stuff together to form pictures to learn, them, their brain learns how to spray up the images. No, I'm telling you that because when Jesus gives sight to someone who's never seen, they don't have to do any of that. He gives them the whole kit and caboodle all at one time. He takes the whole process and and installs it because he made it. He understands it. These two blind men are sitting by the side of the road and Jesus is passing by with the crowd. That's what it tells us here. If you look... It says, and behold, these two blind men sitting by the wayside, good place to be, when they heard, now this is their, this is their means of seeing. You know, their, their hearing has become precise and exact because it's how they've, you know, been in contact with the world that's around them. When they heard that Jesus passed by, they cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, Luke tells us the doctor, and I don't know if he interviewed one of them, but Luke tells us that they heard a commotion. They heard something going on, and they then they said to the crowd, What does this mean? Because this was a different color. It was a different hue. All of a sudden they heard something that they weren't used to hearing. What's the scoop? What's going on? And somebody says, Jesus of Nazareth, listen, is passing by. And they know this might be a once in a lifetime passing by. They probably, you know, he was big news amongst the, 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 the crippled and the, the lame and the blind and the deaf because he had been healing them in numbers unimaginable. And, and these are people, you know, that were infirm that when they read the Old Testament, when they read the Bible, they, said, they saw when the Messiah comes, he's going to open the eyes of the blind, the deaf shall hear, the lame will walk and dance. You, you know yourself, if you go through a, a tough medical situation or a very difficult thing in your life, all of a sudden the scripture is rising off the page in a wonderful way and is speaking to you. Well, these people that were blind, they had insight was what it was way better than eyesight because the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones who were really blind. These blind guys start screaming, Thou son of David. They know he's the Messiah. Jesus, thou son of David. They're acknowledging him as the Messiah, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the the multitude, of course, that's you and I, the representatives here. Um, The multitudes rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Now, it, it tells us as that happens that Jesus stands 
still, if you see that. Jesus stood still. So they're hearing this crunch, crunch, crunch. There's, a, there's kind of an excitement. They're hearing the footsteps. They're hearing this whole thing. And, and they're hearing this crunch, crunch. They're screaming, you know, thou son of David, have mercy, thou son of David. And, and crunch, crunch, crunch. And then they hear crunch, crunch, crunch. And it settles down. And Luke tells us that someone came to them and said, the master's calling for you. And then took them to Christ. Look. What we have here is a religious parade. And it's heartbreaking to think of the religious parade across our country. A religious parade. Some of them dressed up in their costumes. Some of them have to have it the way they want it. Some of them don't want anything to do with it now that there's pressure. You don't want to be part of the religious parade. We have a living Savior. Put on human skin. He walked among us. He cares. He understands. And in this vast mold of Two to people crunching, walking, marching, shut up, leave them alone, just heading up to Jerusalem. Two cries, one honest cry, one honest appeal, somebody crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, stops the whole thing. And it's the same today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. One genuine cry, one broken heart, one person that knows this is the Savior and nothing else is going to work for me. And he can touch me. He can heal me. He can renew me. He can take care of my broken heart. He can forgive my sin. He can take me to heaven. He can get me through this. One genuine cry, you still hear crunch, crunch, crunch. He stops. He stops. Now here's the deal. These guys were willing to be led. It said somebody came and got them and led them to Jesus. We live in a world that's not willing to be led to Jesus. If you want to lead your friends, your relatives to somebody they ain't never seen, all they do is give you a hard time. Not these guys. They were willing to be led to someone they've never seen. Because they've heard. And they have insight, which is better than eyesight. And their hearts have been stirred as they've heard about Jesus. And look, the truth is everybody's been led. Who hasn't been led? You know, I came through the, the 70s. You think I decided to wear bell-bottom pants? My pants should be bigger on the bottom than they are on the top. You think I decided that? You know, I see kids now. You think they decide now their pants should be hanging down, you know, and they're their underwear or outerwear now. You know, you think you think anybody decide we're all led, music and fashion, and we, we we're all led by things that we're willing to be led by, which kind of makes us part of something bigger. We're all longing to be affirmed. We're all longing to be accepted. And think of the things we're willing to do, being led. You know, well, these guys are outcasts. They know they're blind. There's no question. 
I'm lying. What's, you know, I, I love it when the sun comes up, but I ain't never seen the sun. It, I feel the warmth, and I really like that. I, I love the smell of a rose, but I ain't never seen a rose. I love to hear children laughing, but I've never seen one. What do they look like? I've never looked in a mirror. What do I look like? In fact, what does look mean? You know, it's it's interesting. If sometimes if you see someone who's blind, and and they they look around, it you you know because their eyes just stay straight forward. They don't have the obliques. They don't have all the muscles. You know, they're not staying on you. They're just you know. And and well, no, that's I don't need to go there. But anyhow, you know, here's these here's these guys crying out, and Jesus hears that, and there's something happening between his heart and their heart that's not happening between his heart and the entire religious parade around him. And it brings him to a halt. He says, bring them to me. And someone comes and takes them. And I often think, what was that walk like? The master's calling. Someone's leading him. They don't care. And they're, you know, am I 50 foot away? Am I 100 foot away? You know, their heart must be pounding. And then whoever took them just lets them go. And they're standing face to face. They can't see that, but they're standing face to face. And the voice, the voice, that was their eyes. The voice. What did it sound like? What was Jesus' voice like? You can hear it. Then you'll know what ears are for. What was the voice like? What is it that you want me to do for you? I've heard that a thousand times. I've heard it a thousand times. To get alone with him when I'm broken, something's going on. And just get in front of him and I hear, what, what is it that you want me to do? He's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking because he wants me to bring it to him. He wants me to tell him. He wants me to cast all of my care upon him. He knew what they wanted. They were blind. What do you think? Teach us to moonwalk? You know, you know, what does he want me to do? He knew that. And they said that we might receive our sight. So Jesus had compassion on them, verse 34, and it says he touched their eyes. Only Matthew tells us that. He was there watching. What was that? Before they saw, they felt his touch. Isn't it interesting? He touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. So they knew that it was sprayed up on the, they had vision too, because they followed him. Immediately. You know, I think of Franny Crosby, you know, and just the, the hymns she wrote and so forth. And she was blind. And someone asked her, you know, if, aren't you bitter at the Lord? Just isn't it hard being blind? She said, no. She said, imagine the first thing I'm going to see. Imagine the first thing I'm going to see. That's what happened to these guys. The first thing they saw. And that's where eyes were made for in the first place anyhow. It's the face of Jesus. Personally, you're entitled to your own opinion, I think they saw a smiling face of Jesus. 
I think when that sight came, he stood in front of them with a warm, affectionate smile on his face. Now, the bummer of that is all that time, you know, then they say, somebody say, oh, that's a rose. That's what we didn't smell in. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, you know, that's the sun. Yeah, that's so cool. Because the, the best thing you're ever going to see, you see the first second that you see, everything else is like second class after that. And then it says they followed him. So you just imagine, they, they follow him up to, you know, the Mount of Olives. They, 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 they see the triumphal entry. They, they see him persecuted. They see him crucified. Imagine what they see in their first week of following him. Remarkable, remarkable. But Jesus is doing something here. Look, as we enter into the next chapter, you know the story. He's going to send his disciples into Bethany to get him a, an ass and the cult, the fall of an ass, that he's going to ride into Jerusalem. It tells us in both Mark 11 and Luke 18 that this was a cult upon whom never a man sat. No one ever rode this cult before. And Jesus climbs right on. Because the cult's smarter than the religious parade. The cult's smarter than the scribes and the Pharisees. And the interesting thing, as Jesus comes, you know, we're told there are crowds because they know what he did with Lazarus. Lazarus he raised because he saw the pain in his sister's lives and the people who loved him weeping. You know, but you imagine this crowd coming now on, on Palm Sunday. Lazarus is there. Blind Bartimaeus and his buddy is there. The donkey is cooperating. And all of this is a reproof to the religious people who would rather have the religious stuff than to relinquish the reins of their own life to Jesus Christ. And we just, you know, that that's in some ways a struggle that we all grow in and learn about. Tells us this in chapter 21. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples. Now just as we move forward, Bethphage means the house of unripe figs. That's going to be important as we go on further in the chapter. The house of unripe figs. He said to them, go into the village over against you, and straightway, immediately, you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Mark 11:2, Luke 19:30 tells us no one has ever been on this animal. Loose them and bring them to me. And if any man say aught unto you, you just need to say the Lord hath need of them. And immediately he will send them. So the interesting thing is here, more than ever, we see Jesus exercising divine prerogative to organize things for his own crucifixion. We see him now clearly exercising. He's in control. The king is in control. Go here. This is what you're going to see. You're going to do this. If somebody says this to you, you say that back to them. Bring me the animal. Nobody's ever ridden on it before. I'll fix that. Interesting. All this was done 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, going to Zechariah, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting on an ass, the colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they did set him thereon. And there was a great multitude. Now, it tells us this in Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, and lowly, riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Just think what's happening at this point in time. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. It tells us in Luke that he is weeping, Luke 19.41. And Luke doesn't use the same word where he uses when he talks about Jesus, like at the tomb of Lazarus, other places where he wept, which meant tears ran down his face. He, Luke uses the word that means Jesus was convulsing. He was weeping out loud. Here he is on this donkey they're going to bring him into Jerusalem, and he is weeping because this prophecy of Zechariah is being fulfilled. The prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 that after 69 weeks your Messiah will come from the time the command goes forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Artaxerxes Longimanus, most scholars measure it, March 14th, 445 B.C., you add to that 173,880 days. It brings you to this day. And in Luke 19, Jesus said, If you had only known this thy day and the things that belong to your peace. This is the 10th of Nizon, we're told in the Gospels. The 10th of Nizon is when people would come it was a Sunday, the first day of the Jewish week, a Sunday. And they would present the lambs that they were going to offer for sacrifice to see if the priests would approve of them. You know, And there's a whole racket. We're going to get to that. He overturns the table of the money changers. But it was when people would come to the temple to have their lambs examined to see if they were you know, kosher to be sacrificed. That's the day Jesus is coming into the temple. The psalm that was read every Sunday, every first day of the week, is Psalm 24, and it was antithetical. The part of the priest would stand on the wall, and the other part of the priest would be down below, and it would go back and forth like this. The, the priests that were down below the, the city gate on the east side would say, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. The priest up on the wall then said, Who is this king of glory? The priest down the valley said, The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. The priest on the wall would say, Well, who is this king of glory? They would say, The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Imagine what's going on. There, this is what's getting screamed on the walls of Jerusalem. Here comes Jesus on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah, fulfilling Daniel. That's why Jesus said, because the Pharisees would say, tell them to stop screaming. You know, they're crying Hosanna. He said, I'll tell you this. 
If they stopped screaming, the rocks themselves would cry out. There was so many prophetic powers being fulfilled. The word of God is being manifested as he's riding in. It was the exact day that they said, and and I look at him, you read the portion in, in Luke 19, he's weeping over Jerusalem. Now your house is left unto you desolate, you know, your children and so forth. And he's sobbing. And people call this the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry is in Revelation chapter 19. That's the triumphal entry. This is Jesus coming sobbing. And you know, as I look at this, I think his heart is broken over Jerusalem. He says, armies are going to surround you. That was 70 AD when Titus Vespasian and four of the legions surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it. And a million taken away. 50,000 taken away, I believe, to be slaved, over a million slaughtered. And I look at that, and his heart is broken. And I wonder, when he looks at this generation we're living in, realizing that he's going to come through the heavens. And the numbers that don't believe now far exceed the numbers that didn't believe then. And I wonder, and I'm a a poor responder to what I think, how broken is his heart over this generation that he's going to interrupt human history and he's going to step in. If he was weeping then, how broken will his heart be when he comes? to judge and to set up his kingdom. It says they brought to him then this ass, this cult, the foal of the ass. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and they threw them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed, so it seems like there's a a crowd streaming out of Jerusalem and a crowd following him. They were crying, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They're acknowledging Messiahship. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save now. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus is allowing it. A lot of times he said, don't tell anybody. Go show, show yourself to the priest. He, he kind of, you know, dampened down uh, all of the, the notoriety in the past. Now he's allowing us. He's arranging it. He's allowing it all to take place. It says, and when he was come into Jerusalem, all of the city was moved, saying, who is this? Now, just your own, as you go through this, the other Gospels told us he came into Jerusalem, he looked around, and he departed. He went back to Bethany. The next day he comes in, he curses the fig tree on Monday on the way in. Then he overturns the tables of the money changers. Matthew is talking to the Jew and serving a different purpose. So he has Jesus coming into the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers, and as he leaves, cursing the fig tree. Matthew is trying to make an impression on the heart of the Jew, the order of the the way he writes, writes these things. So it says that when he was come into Jerusalem, look, all, I get the word all cycled, circled, all of the city 
was moved. That word moved is the Greek word that's used for earthquake in other places. All of the city was moved saying, who is this? The whole city was shaken, it says. So you know something supernatural is going on. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Partially right, partially wrong. He's way more than a prophet. And Jesus went into the temple of God. Now this actually happens the next day. And he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now, in John chapter 2, it's the first cleansing of the temple when his public ministry began. This is the final cleansing of the temple when he comes. In the temple precincts and, and in the courts of the Gentiles, was not supposed to be a stockyard. It, it, it's called, he says here, my house shall be a, uh, called a house of prayer. And it says in the Old Testament, for all nations. And they didn't respect the outer courts because that was the court of the Gentiles. So they set up their businesses there. So if you came to Jerusalem, Passover was one of the mandatory feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. If you came to Jerusalem, the Old Testament made an exception where you could sell an animal and then bring the money that you got when you sold the animal and use it to buy a new animal when you got there. Because first of all, when they would come, if they bring their own animal, Annas ran this circus. Annas, the high priest, Annas was in charge of the whole shebang here in the temple courts, the whole enterprise. So they would instruct them. They would find a spot or a blemish on your animal. Then you couldn't sacrifice it. So then you had to purchase an animal from them, again, with an incredible markup. They were making money on you. If you came from Italy, if you came from another part of the the Roman world, and you brought coinage with Caesar on it or images, you had to exchange it for temple shekels. You couldn't use Gentile money in the temple. So when you went to the money changers to exchange it, you know, you got 50 cents back for a buck. They were raking in the money, making money on you, and then you took the money that you got after you exchanged it into the temple to buy a lamb, and they and they marked up, they charged you way more than you'd ever pay for a lamb anywhere else. And they were raking in the moolah. They had turned, this was a religious parade, they had turned this, Jesus said, You're a, it's just like a den of robbers. So Jesus, he comes into the temple, he sees these things going on, he cast out, now this is 17 acres. You have to imagine the temple precincts. This whole property is between 12 and 13 acres from the football field all the way up to the other side. Imagine now the temple precincts larger than that, 17 acres. He cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple, and he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. John will tell us, and in, in that the, they didn't understand all these things while they happened, but after he was glorified that the light went on and they understood a lot of these things. John is so honest. And he said unto them, It is written, My house, he owns it, shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den 
of thieves. Now, my house shall be called a house of prayer, Mark 11:17, for all nations. But you've made it a den of thieves. On the, on the pilgrimage up from Jericho to Jerusalem, there were bandits or groups of thieves. They, they lived in caves together and they robbed the pilgrims and it was a den of thieves. He said, you've, you've, you think it's dangerous coming up here? Do you think the road is dangerous there? It ain't as dangerous as coming in here with you guys ripping everybody off. Now look, again, we're told in Hebrews 13.8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe he'd still be turning over some tables these days. Uh, I, I pray that he'll always show us here, you know, hey, man, that's not me. You know, it doesn't represent me. If you, you know, you turn it over or I'll turn it over, you know. But I think of he'd be busier today in some ways than he was then. You, you've made it a den of themes. It's not representing him because grace is free. Isn't free to God. It's costly to God, but it's free to us. And you can't buy the lamb. He can't be marked up on you. You know, none of that represents what they were supposed to experience when they came into the temple because it was a picture of the gospel. And the very lamb of God is standing in front of them in the scene. And it says that when he drove them out, look, it says, and the blind and the lame, notice this, came to him in the temple. The, the religious leaders of the day prohibited the blind and the lame. They weren't allowed in the temple because they were marred. They were disfigured. They had something wrong with them. You know, the, the, the crippled man sat outside the gate. You know, the, Peter and John's going to say, silver and gold, have I not that which I have, give I thee. You know, that was outside the gate. Now Jesus is in there and everything changes. When Jesus, you know, I, I pray it's the same in the church. When Jesus is in the church... I pray the lame and the blind come. You know, you shouldn't walk into a church and feel like, oh, I don't belong here. Look at all these ties and, you know, whatever. This is just, you should be able to come into a church where Jesus is the head of the church with your brokenness and with your sin, with your bad attitudes, with your need to receive sight and healing, with your lack of ability to walk the right way. You should be able to come in. And it says when when Jesus drove out all the nonsense that the blind and the lame came to him in the temple precinct. They weren't afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of the religious system. And it's the same today. People should never be afraid of Jesus. They might be afraid of the church and the religious system, and that is a shame. It means we're not representing our Savior the right way if we let that happen. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, look, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the didn't he heal us? We came in. We shouldn't be here. We were the blind and the lame, and he healed us. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw, notice this, they saw the wonderful things that he did. It wasn't just what he said. They saw what he did, the wonderful things. And they saw the children, the, the, the Greek word there is boys, maybe they're there for bar mitzvah, we don't know. And he saw the boys, probably, because it's Passover, when he saw the boys crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. 
because he's, they're, they're messing with, his, with their money, you know. Uh, it's the golden rule. The gold, he has the gold rules. Um, and the kids are quoting, they're quoting the Psalm. Jesus says, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Psalm 118 says this, the stone which the builders refuse is become the head of the corner. That is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. Hosanna. I beseech thee, O Lord. I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. But you don't want to stop there. The next verse says, God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. That's the light you and I have seen. The sacrifice bound with cords to the horns of the altar. That's what they're crying out from Psalm 18. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders say, make them stop that. Because they know you, you, you're saying you're the Messiah. You're the carpenter from Nazareth. They're saying, you're the, make them stop that. And Jesus said to them, and I think Matthew loves to say, quote Jesus, have you never read? <laughs> That's all they did. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. He takes Psalm 2 and he applies it to himself. O Lord, our Lord, O Jehovah, our Adonai, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, and yet out of the mouths of children you perfected praise. When I consider the sun, the moon, the stars, the work of thy fingers what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him sun and the moon and stars the work of thy fingers what is man what is man he takes that psalm O Lord Jehovah our Lord Adonai and he applies it to himself deity have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them, and he went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. That's where we're going to have to lodge too. Bethany, uh, house of grace. Bethany. Uh, Bethesda, house of mercy, Bethany, house of grace. At the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who used to be dead, who ain't dead no more. Imagine what it was like when he came. They probably had the best, you know, china out and the best knives and forks. And they had the shawarma going and the hummus on the table and the olive oil. Just imagine him and the, the boys are here, you know. Imagine just what it was to spend a night with him and the disciples and sitting around. There's Lazarus, 
raised from the dead. You know, and it says the whole community knew about it. They're probably all looking in the windows, you know, just imagine. Imagine. We can do that, you know. He comes to our table, he comes to our homes. It's wonderful and it's difficult sometimes because sometimes we have to let him rain more on our hearts than he rains on the hearts of those that are around us, depending on the circumstances. Sometimes the other humans around us act like humans. They have guts. And then it's hard for us to be a Christian because of them. We want to blame shift and point at somebody else. But he still comes. He's willing to step into the middle of our lives, willing to step in the middle. I just think he came to Bethany, the house of grace. And the girls, Mary and Martha, were there. Mary was still sitting at his feet. And Martha whistled while she worked. No longer bitter and angry. That you know, You're letting her sit there like a hippie, and I'm doing all the work by myself. Lazarus is alive. She's just glad, you know. The girls are smiling. Lazarus is smiling. The neighbors are there. And there's Jesus in human skin, Jehovah God, sitting at a table, breaking bread, crossed unimaginable boundaries to be born of a virgin to nurse, to be body trained, to grow, to step into this place where now he's about to be crucified. And I'm sure Mary, Martha, Lazarus at home reminded him. This was so the glory that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, reminded him. He says in John 17, Father, I will that those whom thou hast given me be with me where I am and behold the glory I had with you before the world was formed. Again, very interesting, the only place Jesus says in the Gospels, I will. He always says, I do the will of him who sent me. I don't say it unless the Father says it. I don't do it unless the Father does it. The only place he says, I will, he says, Father, I will. With those whom you've given me, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Les, Bob, Brian, those whom you give me, be with me where I am, that they might behold my glory. That's what eyeballs are for, which I had with you before the world was. Amen. And that's when he must have sat there and thought, yeah, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to bear the sin. I'm going to do that. But I'm going to sit at another table with you for a long time. I can't wait. can't wait. Let's stand. Let's pray together. If you don't know Christ tonight, look, I don't know whether you're asking yourself, what did I walk into? Or why did I feel so funny? Or what is this all about? Uh, I hope I don't get COVID. I don't know what you're thinking. But if you know you're lost, you don't know you don't know Jesus, you don't know where you're going to go, where you're going to die when you die, if you're going to have eternal life. It ain't about church, it's not about religion. It's about Jesus. And if all we brought to you is Calvary Chapel, we have failed. We want to bring the savior to your heart and to your life who loves you and died for you, died in your place instead of you. 
So if you don't know him, I encourage you, as we end tonight, we'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, give you some literature to read. But for the rest of us, let's bow our hearts and let's ask him to date these things and give them to us. And then let's lift our hearts and our voices in song. You know, you look at the news, how crazy it is around the world. And all of the wickedness and all of the darkness being promoted, you you think, Lord, it must be a delight to look down on Philmont Avenue and hear these voices rising up saying the right things, you know. So let's pray and then let's bless him. Let's bless him. He's blessed us so much. Father, I know you've overheard. Lord, thank you for this evening. Just thank you for the worship, Lord. Thank you that we can lift our voice in song. Thank you that we have a musical faith, Lord. We're so thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful for your word, Lord, that you put it to the page and you have preserved it for 2,000 years for us to hold on to it in this last generation, Lord. What the apostles were slain for, the reformers, Lord, the church fathers, for us to have the privilege, Lord, to be here tonight with the same word of God that has cost so many so much, Lord, we never want to take that for granted. We thank you for this time, Lord, and as we lift our voices, Lord, and our hearts, we pray that you would inhabit our praises, but, Lord, we pray that you would be blessed, Lord. In a crazy world, we pray what's happening here right now would be a blessing to you as you see the reward of your suffering. And, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name and for your glory. Amen.